Good evening everyone and welcome to the uh, second episode of Genre Breakdown where today we're gonna break down post-punk with my wonderful guest Professor Homer. Say, say hi Professor. Hi. Yeah you too. Kind of be a little bit better. Alright you can't hear me. Hi. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah that's better. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for everyone who tuned into the last episode about punk with Professor Cohen, which Professor Homer is very mad he couldn't do because it is his uh, genre of choice. Absolutely. <laughs> he stole my thunder. Yep. Oh, it is what it is. Well, at least we get to talk about what happened after that today. So, okay, let's just straight get into it. So, Professor, what is like your experience with post-punk? How do you sit with it? How does it stay in your music uh, uh, repertoire? Yeah. How? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I think you you know we we've, we've got to say that it's not a genre. That's why I'm asking so this. Yes. We can't sort of talk about post-punk if it's a thing. Uh, yeah, it's more of a movement than a thing than a genre. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a fragmentation, really, and I suppose that's kind of what I can talk about today. I mean, what happened to punk? I should also say that I, you know, I'm something of a purist here, okay? <laughs> and um, for me, and I know this is as my partner keeps telling me, this is my own personal experience. But punk really lasted a very short period of time, so it lasted from the summer of '76. Yep. When the first single came out, and this was The Damned, New Rose, yep. uh, which came out on Stiff Records. And so certainly in Britain, this was the beginning of punk when the, the Damned single came out. And it was really over by the summer of 77. <laughs> so two so years, yeah. One year. Oh, one year. One year. So it was really essentially one year, and what defined its end was the signing of most of the major punk bands to labels. Yeah. Uh, so all of the kind of independent labels, I mean, stiff records and everything continued, yeah. but that kind of improvisation and do-it-yourself culture was over. And so all of the bands had signed to, uh, to major labels. All of them started bringing out albums and then that was finished. Yeah, yeah, right. that's pretty much how it goes with any genre that, uh, that tries to be countercultural until it becomes the norm. Yeah, and it doesn't last very long. It doesn't last It's a very, very long. short period of time, and I think uh, punk was even shorter than most. Yeah. I mean, most countercultural movements have a very, very short lifespan these days. Yep, that's so, true. So, um, really, I suppose for me, the first, what we would call the first post-punk bands emerged in the summer of 77. Which is? They are. They yeah, are. There's probably, there were three, the summer of 77, there were probably three important bands in the UK, all right, which which, are, which were emerging at that time. And that is from Bristol, which is where I lived. Um, from Bristol, we had the pop group. Yep. Uh, in London, uh, you had This Heat, which is possibly... Wow, I actually didn't know you know them. This heat with the this blue heat. the blue album cover, the first one? Yes. Oh my god, it's so good. It's very well, interesting <laughs> that you would classify that as post-punk though. This was the beginning. Um these were the two and well the third band was Throbbing Gristle. Yeah. Uh Throbbing Gristle was slightly different from the other two in the sense of the Throbbing Gristle was much more arty. Uh, yep. so Throbbing Gristle uh, was the product of two performance artists in particular, Cozy Fanny Tutti and Genesis Biorich. Yeah. Okay. 
So these were the three bands that emerged in the immediate sort of post-punk period. Yeah. This Heat, the pop group, and Throbbing Gristle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess we should explain to the people what post-punk is for at least those that don't that don't wanna. Post-punk is like a, post-punk is like a loose grouping of. Uh, it's a loose grouping of many different styles that came after punk. Yeah. Uh, with them keeping the one core belief that it has to be DIY as punk originally was. Uh, although most, again, post-punk bands got very big. Some of the most popular bands in the world are mm. come from like, like The Cure, which we're going to talk about later. But uh, it's supposed to be DIY. It's supposed to be kind of this mentality of you representing something. Uh, and also, it kind of in terms of uh, musical style, it is like a complete opposite of what punk is. So punk is aggressive and loud and riff-based and everything. Not all of it. Not all of it. Okay, some of this continued. I mean, yeah, what you had is what you had in '77 was the punk bands themselves. Many of them became essentially pop bands. Yes. Yeah. So you know, Blondie, The Ramones, The Clash, Generation X, yeah. The Clash became a rock band. Yeah, they became just a straight-up uh, rock band. Yeah, you know, a big stadium band and stuff like that. So you had this one element of punk that just sort of went straight into producing pop. Yeah. All right? And then you had the the emergence of, you know, bands like the pop group and stuff like this. And then you also had this fragment into the different elements that went in to make up punk. So, um, one of the things I keep going on about, because it seems to be sort of slight, in this part of the world, slightly less well-known, is that, of course, a key element of punk was reggae. Of course, no. Um, And the main main punk producers were people like Don Letts and Dennis Bovell. Okay, yeah. who are reggae producers, dub reggae producers. Yeah. Um, so there was a close connection between uh, reggae and the reggae scene and punk. Yeah. So one side of uh, immediately with the fragmentation and the breakup of kind of punk in, in the way that it went, you know, parts of it moved much closer to reggae. Yes, that's completely uh, true. Yes. So you had this kind of, particularly bands like the Splits, uh, the Slits, the sorry. Slits, yeah, the Splits, the Slits. So the Slits were always much more in, in, into reggae, and eventually Ari up from the Slits when you know she moved to Jamaica and was singing in reggae bands. Yeah. And this. So you had that one element there, which was very very strong. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, for me, at least the way that I see it, I mean, you coming from the UK and I think living in the UK at the time yeah, when yeah. all this was happening, you have a much better understanding of me about this because uh, post-punk is a very, at least like to a, a big part of it is very heavily UK based. Uh, so for me, at least uh, born like 30 years after the emergence or like 25 years after the emergence of it. I understand it as that. Uh, so the Clash's London Calling, which we talked about la- last time, which I personally consider the death of punk because mm-hmm. that is the record that went far and beyond everything done before. And then there was no point. It's yeah. commercial. It's pop. It has all the punk mm-hmm. aspects of it as well. So uh, yeah, I know you don't consider it a, a punk album as a purist, <laughs> uh, but uh, I personally do. But mm. uh, in my opinion, that uh, uh, album it genuinely pushed. Like it was like okay, we're done with this. Let's go into a different direction, and that direction being anything that came after it. 
Yeah, and that direction, as I say, went in lots of very, very different yep. kinds of directions. So, uh, you know, the the reggae element of uh, that emerged out of punk kept, uh, you know, anti-racism was a key part of punk. Yeah, not just the do-it-yourself, but also the certain politics involved. So, anti-racism and the anti-racist movement was a key part of it. Yeah. This uh, stayed there through reggae, stayed there with figures like Linton Kwesi Johnson, yep. um, which do my intro to lit class, you know <laughs> I play students, Linton Kwesi Johnson. Um, uh, it was also there in uh, Two-Tone from Coventry and the emergence of Two-Tone in the Scar uh, bands there like Madness, all of this yeah. was part of this kind of anti-racist movement which mm -hmm. came out out of punk yeah at the time i mean even if you look at it in i spoke about this with professor cohen last time if you look at bad brains all of them are like jamaican they started off with doing mm -hmm. reggae uh, their self-titled uh yellow album is half reggae half hardcore punk yeah like so it's very ingrained and even if you look at it like the clash on london calling of course you have guns of Brixton, obviously. Well, yeah. you, you have police and thieves. You have police street, and thieves from before man, that. Yeah. White man in Hammersmith Ballet. Yeah. Um, reggae was a, you know, a core Very part key. in that. Yeah. And of course, when, um, what's his name, left The Clash, the guitarist who left The Clash in form. Mick Jones? No. Uh, oh my God, I forgot. I forgot Whatever. the name of people, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting old, I can't remember the names. But it was Mick Jones. When Mick Jones left The Clash, he formed big big audio dynamite and don letts was a member of big audio dynamite okay okay um so there's that side of it and again it's worth keeping in mind that really what we had in the uk post-punk was you know almost every city had its own scene all right yes yeah, ju so, just how punk did yeah. pretty much in the in the US. Well, yeah, yeah, because it, but punk was really there was one band in each city. You know, there were very very few when punk started, so there were just uh, you know the odd band, the Buzzcocks yeah. up in Manchester, yeah. bands in Bristol, the Cortinas. Sorry, the Cortinas in Bristol, a few bands in London, very yeah. few number. But post-punk, what you had is very different kinds of scenes emerging. Yeah. Stylistically in different, different as well. Exactly. Yeah. Very, yeah. very stylistically different. So you had the kind of goth scene yeah. emerging. Which we're going to talk about later, before. of course. Yeah, um, you have to. Yeah, you have to. That was there in punk. That was there with The Damned, yeah. for example. Yeah. And Dave Adin and his white face. And yeah. By the way, I am getting confirmation uh, that it was Mick Jones who left the band. Yeah. Good. I'm glad yeah. that you ha you have a listener. Yeah, at least one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. good. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, back to how uh, post punk started. Uh, so for me, there are really two bands, and these are kind of like basic takes, but whatever. Mm. For me, there are two bands that realistically uh, pioneered the genre, kind of created uh, or like the movement and the style, kind of created their own thing, and those are. Public Image Limited, mm -hmm. uh, led by Mr. John Lydon, uh, formerly of the Sex Pistols as Johnny Rotten. Mm -hmm. And I only like their first album, and in my opinion, everything after that is dog shit. <laughs> the first mm -hmm. one is pretty damn good. The, <laughs> like, the first pillow. Yeah, the self-titled yeah. one. Mm -hmm. do you, yeah. Like, what do you what do you think about them uh, in general? I, well, I I I like Pill. I think they were very interesting. I still think they. 
you know, Johnny Lydon sort of is rather irritating to listen to <laughs> these days with his kind of reactionary crap that he comes out with. But I think they are still um, interesting. You know that uh, yep. Ariapa the Slits was yeah. his stepdaughter. Oh, really? Yes. Really? So, I've, I've, um, never, I've never heard this before. It's wow. small. It's a, it's, a, it's a very small world. So, yeah, you know, these bands wow. were very closely connected. So Ariapa the Slits, I mean, she yeah. must have been one. I think when I first saw them, she must have been about 14, 15, something like that. Yeah. Um, and she was, yeah, Johnny Lydon's stepdaughter. Yeah. Um, the other thing, of course, you got one thing where you got with the Slits, and you, the Slits were one of my favorite bands, okay? Mm. We, we can tell, yeah. Um, the dr they didn't have a drummer for a long time, so the drummer of the Slits was often uh, Bruce Smith from the pop group. Yeah. Who's also the drummer for Pill. Wow. Yeah, okay? it's all it's all connected. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but he was he's he's the drummer for he was always the drummer for the pop group. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you had the reggae, which brought in the anti-racism stuff, but also with the slits, you you had the kind of feminism, which was again another of the core parts. Yeah. And this emerged in post-punk with bands like the Au Pairs, yeah. for example who only, I think the Au Pairs only had one album, and this was called A Different Sex. I don't know who they are. Like, I've never listened to them. They're, they're good. Yeah. The Au Pairs, okay. were, the, the Au Pairs were, were an interesting uh, band, but again, coming out of the kind of more political side yeah. of punk, um, and uh, I think they, they split up after the first yeah. album. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting people check mm. them out i will as well <laughs> so yeah uh so then the other band which i have which i consider to be like a pioneer but then it goes way deeper than that <laughs> but at least for the first couple of years that they were together i would say um susie and the banshees were like a formative punk band because they were kind of the bridge between the two styles in my opinion with their first album the scream uh, which mm. is an album which i absolutely adore and which is an album that i constantly see mentioned on top 100 greatest punk albums of all time not post-punk albums punk albums mm. it's a very proto-punk album it has the rawness but it also has the melody and the rhythm and the danceability that you would get from uh from that people associate with it you know with uh post-punk but it is but Susie and the Banshees are a very just like first of all incredible but also completely unique band to the aspect that they don't really conform to the post-punk label and they just go and establish goth later yeah. on yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't want to really talk about them just now but informative proto-post-punk I would absolutely say that they're up there mm. I was I was never a big fan of Susie and the Banshees I would understand I absolutely understand um I think I was going in a different direction um, because, as I say, this whole thing kind of went off in many directions in many different cities in the UK. Um, uh, the reggae was a very uh, big thing, yeah. and I was listening to a lot of you know uh, reggae at that time. I'll tell you a story about Joy Division later. Yeah, when, when we start talking, yeah. talking about them, yeah. Um, the other course was that many of the bands and many of the punk bands who were into the more experimental side. Like this heat, home, yeah, for example. Like this heat or like the pop group moved into jazz. Yeah. 
So very, very quickly, uh, 1977 onwards, when, you know, punk became a fashion, it became a style, yep. it became a form of music that people could play, and you knew how to play it, you just thrashed around on a, on a guitar and screamed, yeah. all right? Um, so the more experimental side of punk, which was still there in bands like This Heat yeah. or bands like uh, the pop group, uh, moved into jazz and into improvised jazz. Yeah. So the other side of, you know, one of the other movements out very early on, and this is not what you think of as post-punk, was the way that these bands went into jazz. So, for example, when the pop group broke up, I mean, part of the band formed Rip Rig in Panic, mm -hmm. which is named after a Rashan Roland uh, Kirk uh, jazz album. Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah. Uh, so you you had all these kind of uh, jazz influences there as well, yeah. Uh, and some of these bands were playing with jazz as mm -hmm. well. So jazz became a big sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say for the people that feel brave enough, mm -hmm. go listen to the first This Heat album. Just go and listen oh, to the yeah, self-titled blue cover, incredible album. Mm -hmm. If you can tolerate it, like DM me on Instagram that you listen to the full, to, to the full This Heat album from beginning to end. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, because, yeah. yeah, if you can tolerate it, because, again, I mean, one of the things around the early punk, like the first Sex Pistols singles, um, like, the, I mean, you know, the first time I saw the slits in 76, 77, I can't remember when exactly. I mean, they were utterly unlistenable. Yeah, that's what they all start off. It was incredible. It's one of, you know, one of the great concerts of my life, uh, but completely unlistenable. But of course, as it becomes, as the band signed to record labels, they started to make more uh, marketable music and stuff like this. So the experimental, like this heat, the experimental side of the post-punk went further into improvised jazz, further into, also don't forget, industrial music. Yeah. So early 80s was the big, the big time for uh, the development of industrial music, yeah. which was just basically banging things, yeah. banging large pieces of metal yeah. with other pieces of metal. Yeah. So you had, you know, you had bands like Test Department in the UK or... Big Black in the UK, in the US, which I really uh, love. Or Neubatten, or Neubatten in yeah. Germany, SPK in Germany. Yeah. It, the, the industrial scene was yeah. a very big kind of post-punk scene in yeah, Germany absolutely, at yes. that time. They're connected. These textured yeah. layers that these bands would present yeah. can be very uh, can be seen very early on in post-punk like mm. development. Okay, so we're about to have our first music break, but first I want to talk about one final album, uh, album slash band, and that's. Uh, a band which Professor Cohen mentioned as a great punk uh, album, and that's why I think it's a great blend between post-punk and punk, and that is why uh, Pink Flag by Wire. Uh, oh. the, yeah, mm -hmm. incredible album. I absolutely love it. It, mm -hmm. it encapsulates the very, very short, easy-to-digest songs from punk, which most of these songs like barely being over a minute long. And uh, yeah, it's 21 songs, 35 minutes, and it's a great like blend, I feel like, as a first music break of this episode from the previous, uh, to the, from the previous episode of punk to post punk. Because after this, we're going into hardcore 
post-punk with uh, Joy Division and The Cure and everything. So we're going to play you like, I don't know, two, three songs because they're kind of short. So you can kind of get a feel of what we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, we're going to leave you off with that and we're going to be back after the music break. And so stay tuned, guys. Here it is, again, and it's called One, Two, XO!
impossible. And we are uh, back after listening to three um, uh, Wire songs from their album Pink Flag, a great album. Uh, so I just uh, got reminded of something we didn't talk about uh, television uh, for the creation of uh, mm. of postpunk. How do you feel about television, Professor? <laughs> well, I love television. Yeah. Uh, when they uh, first started. Um, i saw them who did i say i saw them i saw them in 77 with who was it the talking heads supporting oh, wow. them i saw oh, the talking nice. heads as a support band as a support band. as a support band <laughs> <laughs> the same time i saw the ramones in blondie i think i'm not sure who's i think the blondie was a support band for uh the ramones, the ramones. yeah okay yeah. that makes more sense at the yeah. time yeah okay yeah. sure yeah absolutely love them uh yeah uh great band but i didn't formation. follow them i mean after kind of marky moon yeah I didn't same follow, yeah follow, same pretty much um, same. there were there were other again if you're if you're talking about that kind of new york scene there were other bands which were punk stroke post-punk in particular suicide yeah i mean yeah. the, you know the first suicide album is great, great. yep know. i completely agree so mm. let's hop into uh more like uh mainstream and old people no, in terms of uh, post-punk. So, first band on the list is obviously the most famous post-punk band. I imagine most of you know what I'm talking about, and that's Joy Division. In terms mm. of, like, uh, pure post-punk band, Joy Division is probably up there with the most famous ones. They only existed for, I don't know, two years? Yeah, three, yeah. Two very, years. very short Extremely, period of time. Extremely, yes. Very short catalog a very small catalog two albums some singles and that's it yeah their album unknown pleasures you've probably seen a million shirts with the, with the album it's extremely popular and what they did is they incorporated the DIY aspect of uh, punk however they added melody to it which was unheard of at the time and they also made it very and instead of and instead of distortion now we have reverb and chorus and other effects like that on the guitar and also the bass line doesn't play root notes it plays a melody on top of it yeah well, i think the bass is, is one of the key things but it's you know it's also i mean you probably your listeners probably know but if you listen to the first uh, incarnation of Joy Division, which was War as Warsaw, mm, uh, they yeah. couldn't keep the name because there was another band called Warsaw. <laughs> so they had to, when they brought out their their albums, they had to change their name. Yeah. But when you listen to that, um, Warsaw is pure punk. Yep. Okay. It's even some of the same songs are from you know they played some of the same songs from Unknown Pleasures, but they're all played as punk. Punk, fully punk. Yes. Full punk uh, songs. So really, with Joy Division, this was the producer. This this was Factory Records. Yeah. So um, in terms of generating that particular sound and the sound that you got on those early singles and the sound that you got on Unknown Pleasures, 
this was all to do with the, and again, I've forgotten his name, but the very famous uh, producer that was working at Factory Records in Manchester, uh, and which is where the sound came from. Yeah, yeah. Someone will Google, Google the, the producer and, yeah. and send it to you yes, shortly. Yes, yes. Hi there, people. You have a task. <laughs> <laughs> uh, assignment, if you might. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Um, The vocalist of Joy Division, Ian Curtis, is like uh, an icon in the mm. post-punk world. He was severely depressed for the majority of his life and uh, ended up taking his life at age 21, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, Yeah. well, this comes... Can I tell you my, sto my Joy yeah. Division story? Yeah, go ahead, of course. Um, they, were, they were playing. I was living in Sheffield in the north of England. There were two nightclubs in Sheffield. The more famous of the two is the Lead Mill. It's still there. And Joy Division were playing in the Lead Mill. Yeah. This night. But in the other club, Prince Farai, the reggae star, yeah. was playing. So I had to decide which of the two concerts to go to. And I thought, okay, you know, I'll see Joy Division some other time. So I went to I went to see Prince Farai, who was actually terrible. I really hated him. Uh I went to see Prince Farai and very shortly after Ian Curtis killed himself. Yeah. So my chance to go and see Joy Division I actually didn't take it yeah I went to see I went to see a reggae star but Unfortunate. This again yeah this was the split I'm talking about this kind of divergence yeah. between the post-punk scene I was thinking okay these reggae stars don't come over from Jamaica very often so yeah. I'll go and see this guy yeah yeah um, so in terms of Joy Division I really recommend just people go listen to unknown pleasures first if they haven't uh, heard anything by them it's uh, raw it's uh, moody it's depressing it is uh, everything and uh, yeah uh, so I have gotten the info uh, it's uh, Martin Hannett who yes, was the producer yeah. yeah 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 and and he was responsible um, because again an awful lot of the post-punk kind of sound that came out of Manchester which had a huge music scene yeah. um, after that was related to, you know, Factory Records was related to the Hacienda nightclub and was produced by Martin Hannett yeah. okay? and this was very, and again a very kind of key part of it and the link the link back to punk in what you were saying here about the do it DIY side yeah. of it was that Tony Wilson, uh, who owned Factory Records, yeah, or uh, and managed Joy Division and the other bands, was a situationist. Okay, okay? so he was influenced just as Malcolm, Malcolm McLaren in London was in influenced by Guy Debord and the socialist, the Situationist International. Yeah. So was Tony Wilson in Manchester. Yeah. So again, it was continuing that kind of ethos. They had no contracts. None of the bands had yeah. contracts. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. they also had no money. Yeah. Um, for a long period of time, but that yeah, you got that kind of gothic, heavy. Depressed. It wasn't just depressed. I mean, you know, Ian Curtis was epileptic. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the things that was really... So when you talk about his depression and stuff like this, there was an awful lot around his, uh, his epilepsy and the fact that uh, certainly towards the end, he couldn't perform on stage. Yeah. He couldn't go on stage because... The, uh, the whole experience of going on stage, he would, have, he would him, have a fit. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Like he would have an epileptic fit. So. Also, I would say that Joy Division pioneered something that is incredibly common for a lot of uh, post-punk bands. I don't know if they pioneered it, to be fair, but at least I connect them with them the most, and that's the repetition. Uh, mm. They have incredibly repetitive songs, more like most of them. If you look at songs like Disorder, it's the same drum beat over and over and over again. And from my experience of trying to play the song live, it's incredibly difficult for the drummer to keep that speed up to that point that it is. Uh, and it's a very, very tasking to do. It's so tasking to do that a lot of post-punk bands after that uh, don't have a drummer. It's a very common thing for a post-punk mm. band to not have a drummer for it to just be, especially when the the drum machines became more popular in the 80s, everybody just started using a drum machine. Mm. <laughs> especially in even some of the biggest bands right now bands like uh, like post-punk bands like right now band, uh, bands like Mocha Doma from Belarus they just use they don't have a drummer they have a drum machine they're one of the most famous post-punk uh, post-punk bands going on right now but yeah uh, that's about it for Joy Division hmm. uh, okay I'm, I'm yeah? sure there's more you can say about, about yeah but we but we're kind of short on time and okay, we have more on, bands go on, to, go, go to go to we have The Cure number two mm. uh, The Cure is uh, probably the most famous post-punk band how many Spotify listeners have 16 million uh, Spotify listeners mm. monthly so uh, yeah absolutely uh, what do you think about The Cure Professor well again a bit like Susie in the Banshees I was never a big Cure fan yeah uh the, the Cure is much more my partner's band than yeah. mine. I like The Cure, but I'm not. So these are, I have very particular, you know, okay. yeah. tastes yeah. and stuff like this. So The Cure uh, yeah. was never about, you know, I sort of, it's, I, I, yeah, they were yeah. never one of my preferred bands. Yeah, if I sure. can put it that. I prefer, okay, my preference would be, and again, this is coming out of, uh, the sense of of what punk was and how it impacted. I like the bands which were really sort of pushing the more uh, non-melodic side, the more unlistenable side of things. Uh, So, you know, I liked to see that kind of, you know, I preferred that kind of music. Yeah, I mean, I understand, yeah. but I, I still, I do like that type of music which you're talking about as well. But the Cure for me are just incredible. Their songwriting is insane. They're yeah, they're yeah. good. I mean, I, you know, I, I can acknowledge that they're they're a great band, yep. and I like listening to them. I just don't listen to them very often. Something which the Cure very heavily introduced, in my opinion, in post punk in general, is the texture. Now it's mm. a landscape. It's no longer so much about. Mm. The guitar work and whatever. I mean, their their first album is just straight, uh, like a post-punk album, right? Like to the imaginary, what was it called again? To the imaginary boys. That's just a pop-punk album as it is. But after that, uh, when they uh, start, when they came out with 17 seconds, they started adding these pads to the whole thing that are gonna fill up emptiness uh, in the mix. So now there's multiple layers of things mm-hmm. happening onto a song. Uh, uh, and they incorporate all of electronic elements into it as well. And then progressively, eventually, when they reached disintegration, right, in uh, their most famous album in 1989, now their songs became so uh, just captivating, so hypnotic that they had to extend them to be longer. Like I'm looking at the at disintegration right now on Spotify with like the shortest song is like, Three minutes and twenty-eight seconds. That's coming from like a post-punk thing. It's like from the beginning of of post-punk, in, from proto 
post-punk, that's a ridiculously long time. Like for a short for the shortest song on Yama. We're looking at five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine minutes and twenty-two seconds is the longest song on this on this album. There it's twelve songs an hour and twelve minutes. Like calculate the the average. But it's a cinematic experience now. It kind of went away from the mm. melody and it now it's a full picture that is being painted. And that's what I love about the cure the most. But you not being a fan is um, understandable. Yeah, but then it seems to start, you're then getting the bands were starting to get into this more kind of epic, symphonic kind of thing, which would, again, which was the whole thing around punk trying to get away from. I mean, yeah. Um, and so my, my, you know, sort of departure from all of this is when they got more and more sophisticated. I can understand as someone who plays, you know, who's a musician like yourself, you can sort of see the pleasures in that. Yeah. But it got it for me, it started to return to what we'd already got away from. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. And I, I get it. Yes, I yeah. get it. It's like a completely different thing at this point. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. yeah. So connected to the mm-hmm. beginnings of Toe. And then uh, I guess, would you have any other like major post-punk bands? But like, I mean, like big ones. That, big ones? Yeah. What are the big ones? Uh, there was all kinds of stuff going on. I don't want to call Talking Heads a post-punk band. It's a new wave band. And I don't really want to talk about them because new wave, I want to do a separate genre on it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So although I get that no wave is a divergence from uh, po- from uh, post-punk and it can be seen as a uh, deviation, I love the genre too much for me to just mention it here. I want a okay, whole episode so, yeah, on it. But, so then you'd all the kind of Lydia Lunch and all of that yeah. stuff would, would go in that The that no direction. wave stuff are going in the no wave yeah, episode. Okay. <laughs> That's that's fine, but I mean, in in certainly in terms of the UK, you had bands like the Birthday Party, yes, and uh, stuff like this. Yes, the Birthday Party. I uh, you know. they're incredible in terms of like um, uh, I I wouldn't even consider them a post punk band as much as I would consider them a noise rock band. <laughs> but, like, yeah, um, but yeah, I think no, I think I would consider that I would put them there with those other bands at the time because they were bringing they continued to bring that very kind of anarchic chaotic um, spirit that, with that them. Is and, and particularly in you know uh, some of the you know sort of great remember hearing Nick Cave you know singing seeds, Kurt right? Vile and yeah. stuff like this yeah. but yeah Nick, the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds came later yeah. but again as you were saying here about repetition, very, very long. I mean, you know, the early kind of Nick Cave in the Bad Seats albums, yeah. very, very long yeah. tracks, very repetitive, just going round and round yeah. over and over again. Yeah, and if you guys want to hear some depressing mu- music, go listen to Nick Cave and the Bad Seats, because that is soul-crushing, in my opinion. Yeah, oh. uh, well, it's pretty damn, I would say it's pretty damn, like, negative and emotional. Would you? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, mm. Nick Cave went to some shit like later on in his life. Yeah, but uh, like, yeah. Okay, and that will be it for this. So now we're going to leave you with uh, one, two, at least two songs. Uh, one from Joy Division, one from The Cure, and then maybe another one from Joy Division, depending on how I'm feeling. I don't want to play you guys Disorder because I'm sick of hearing Disorder. Mm. So I'm going to play a song that sounds exactly like disorder but it's not disorder it's transmission uh so yeah so uh we're gonna leave you with a short music break and then we'll be back to talk about the specific subgenre of like a divergence uh from up um, uh, from uh post-punk and we're gonna talk about the beginning of goth like that's what's gonna happen after this so uh see you guys in a little bit
going to talk about the gothic side of post-punk, which is personally, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely up there. So, time to talk about Susie and the Banshees in, in depth. You already said you don't like them, but their history is pretty interesting. So, for the people who don't know, Susie Sue started off as a tour friend of the Sex Pistols, kinda. Uh, she's in a very, very famous interview of the Sex Pistols with, who was it again? <laughs> Whatever. Someone, someone will. I can't remember. Yeah, whatever. Names, so, what man. happened on the interview? Fifty years ago. Yeah, pretty much. So, essentially, what happened on the interview is the guy who was way mm-hmm. older than Susie, who was a minor at the time, pretty much attempted to hit on her during the interview. Johnny Rotten and the boys kind of got pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. Incredible publicity for the Sex Pistols. Incredibly, incredible publicity for Susie Sue. Eventually, Susie Sue goes off and forms her own band. That band is called Susie and the Banshees. And uh, the professor already said that um, the, uh, he doesn't like them, but uh, that's I fine. I don't dislike them. Okay, They're do you just... have a favorite song slash album slash anything? No, not with Susie and the Banshees. No, I mean, Su- okay, Susie Sue was an interesting, you know, as you're saying, was a very, very interesting and a very provocative character. Yeah. And, I, and I liked her for that. I just didn't particularly like their music. Okay, sure. Um, so that... And, and the whole kind of, with the exception of Joy Division, okay, the goth element, as I mentioned earlier, was there right from the beginning. It was there with The Damned. And, and you know, David Vadim dressing up as Dracula and his white painted face yeah. and all the rest of it. Uh, but this became something of a joke. And then, so yeah, you had kind of Susie and the Banshees uh, and you had a whole series of other bands emerging 
uh, like the Southern Death Cult, for example. Um, uh, I suppose to a certain extent, bands like Bauhaus, which I actually thought were was interesting as yeah, well. Which we're gonna, which I was gonna mention in a little bit. Yeah. But yes. So, um, in terms of Susie and the Banshees, I love Susie's uh, singing voice, and I think mm. that they. Uh, were a great assembly of people and Susie always managed to have an incredible guitarist at all time in her bands even though a lot of them went, came and went one of them were Robert Sm- one of them was Robert Smith who eventually went to form uh, The Cure not The Smiths <laughs> I always get it always get it confused uh, yeah so uh, but Susie being like a more like a fashion icon in the 80s the goth the goth the top one goth person in the 80s uh, eventually what that spiraled into was in a musical and a stylistic sense is the development of a different subgenre in post-punk and that was goth rock which she would combine more traditional rock elements with her signature style creating goth rock and then for all of you newcomers uh, none of the 90s and 2000s pop punk slash emo bands would exist without it right my chemical romance absolutely adored Susie and the Banshees mm-hmm. and absolutely everybody else adored Susie and the Banshees gonna play your Susie and the Banshees song in a little bit but uh, so you mentioned uh, Bauhaus well, what do you think about Bauhaus see now they're pretty unlistenable music to a certain extent they have well, uh, I love them at the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, um, you know again I think it was it must have been the first album all of this is a terribly long time ago so I can't even remember you've also got to remember this things around this period of time listening to bands I had absolutely no money okay yeah all right so um, we used to we used to have uh, cassettes. We used yeah. to record and have cassettes. So I had cassettes of bands. Yeah. But usually I had no title on the cassette, and I had no song list. Yeah. So many of these bands that I would listen to that I know, I couldn't tell you what the albums are called. Yeah. And I cannot tell you what a single track on any of the albums yeah. are because yeah. I never had them. Yeah, you just you had know, the CD. I, yeah. I just had the music. I yeah. just had, you know, we had these little, these little very badly made tapes because yeah. we were broke. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. Well, yeah. Uh, so uh, Bauhaus, uh, repetition to the maximum. The band, mm. <laughs> they just love repeating their things, They're and they great. also would name, would they would name their songs after uh, popular, uh, either gothic characters or figures. Not all of them, but they have some. With the most obvious example is Bela Lugosi. Is that they're one of their most mm. famous songs? It's like what eight, nine minutes long. Well, is it, I mean, ah, yeah, it's nine minutes long and it's like reverbed guitars and all the post-punk elements and it's like progressive po- like post-punk at this point and I absolutely adore them I absolutely recommend that people go and listen to them I'm gonna play a song for them later are you gonna play Bella Lugosi? No, because oh, it's because it's not. I know you're a fan of uh, like uh, <laughs> a long art project. Uh, mm-hmm. Seeing that you are the biggest Bella Tar enjoyer I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. I but I suppose this. yeah. I mean, for me, one of the you mentioned this kind of goth rock stuff. I mean, one of the thing I didn't like was the, the way that okay, Joy Division after Ian Curtis died, disbanded, it was formed over, yeah. New Order. Um, but many of the kind of more goth, you know, uh, bands, you know, like the Southern Death Cult and stuff like this yeah. just became heavy metal bands. Yeah. So they went into this kind of more heavy metal and none of this stuff I like. <laughs> so I didn't like the okay. kind of direction that it yeah. went, went yeah, into. Yeah, I understand. Yep. 
Okay, so mm. I would also maybe would like to give a quick shout out to modern uh, post-punk because post-punk in recent times has seen like a revival and that's a whole different genre which I would imagine you don't know anything about. Absolutely not. Yep, and that's called post-punk revival. In the UK, all of a sudden, it got very big to have mm. those, those stylistic aspects back no matter what type of band you are. Some of the biggest and also the experimentation part of it. Some big bands uh, that uh, have broken out since then are Black Midi, uh, Black Country New Road and uh, even the new Paramount more album which came out this year is extremely post-punk extremely stylistically a post-punk album yep okay and there's one more i mean you one of the more interesting again directions that came out or the movements that came out of um uh, punk and post-punk was of course this kind of strange return to uh, folk music, mm. so you didn't expect okay, this bit, yeah. um, through punk. So, I mean, the obvious example is the Pokes, Shane McGowan in the Pokes, okay? okay? Um, if ever, there's a very famous um, uh, uh, press photograph of one of the first Sex Pistols gigs, okay. where there's a guy sort of throwing himself around at the front of the stage with blood pouring out of his Ear. Is that the where, guy? Where someone bit his ear off. Eeyhole. Bit his ear. Okay. This is Shane McGowan. Okay, yeah. Okay, who would go on to form the Irish folk band, the Pogues, uh-huh, who were yeah. fabulous. And also connected with this in the UK, you have bands like the Levelers. Okay. Uh, and this is connected with, again, this kind of do-it-yourself culture. And what at the time they had various names were known as the new age travelers yeah so these people who would travel around the country in in vans and trucks and stuff like this and uh you know just have free festivals you know looking for free festivals setting up squatting in different places and stuff like this yeah so there was again a very different kind of movements all of this came out of punk yeah wow Yep, that's interesting. Something you didn't know. Yeah, that is something that I did not know. That's what the show is about. <laughs> Learn more about music. Mm. Okay, we're gonna shift our uh, schedule a little bit by giving our uh, recommendations right now. So, <laughs> in terms of... Yes, very worrying, I know. Uh, so, for me personally, if I got to pick five albums... Uh, you don't have to pick albums, Professor. You can pick whatever you want. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Just the song works. Don't get terrified because of it. I would pick number one. I would say Pink Flag by Wire is something that you should listen from beginning to end because it's a very easy listen. And it's a great man between the two things, the two genres. Number two, I would put um, I would put the first Suzy in the Banshees album on it. Uh... The Scream. If you don't want to listen to that one, go listen to Tinderbox. It's my other most favorite uh, one. The basic one you can listen to is Juju, but don't listen to it first. Listen to some other things first. Then I would recommend Pornography by The Cure. A little bit of a more ambient post-punk album. For a straight-up post-punk album, I would absolutely recommend um, uh, Droid Division's Unknown Pleasures. And then finally, for a modern one, there is a new band, a new Irish punk band called uh, Fountains DC. And they have one album, which I forgot the name of. Uh, I am going to tell you in exactly two seconds, because they have two albums. Yeah, A Hero's Death. You can go listen to A Hero's Death for a modern uh, 
post-punk experience. If not, go listen to... No, do nothing else. Go listen to A Hero's Death. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Those are my recommendations. So, Professor, do you have anything to recommend to the people? Do I have anything to recommend to the people? I would recommend Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures, yep. for sure. I and their that, second album as well. It's damn good. They're both... It's all good. Yeah, it's I all mean, good. I it's, mean, it's a very small catalogue, but it's a yeah. brilliant catalogue. Um, I would recommend... Um, I think a, an essential album would be the pop group's Why. Yes. All yes, right? true. Um, I would recommend uh, The Slits. Cut. Yep. Okay. All right, the first Slits album. And then I think it would have to be something which was more um, reggae-inflected. So this would either be Linton Kwesi's Johnson's Dread Beaten Blood, okay, uh, which was very important, or maybe even something from Jamaica like uh, Culture's Two Sevens Clash or something, which is pure reggae. Okay, yeah. Um, something which, which is there, which is you wouldn't associate with any of this, but... Reggae was so important in the way that these things went that some reggae would have to be there. Yeah, I mean, I uh, completely agree. Uh, those are incredible picks. I know, I know most of them. The ones that I don't know, I will check out myself. So, with that being said, guys, we are done with the second episode of Genre Breakdown. Professor, thank you so much for joining me on it. I hope you had a great time. I hope it was fun I, for you. I enjoyed it. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, guys, that's gonna be it from us. We're gonna leave you with two goth rock, post-punk, whatever. Songs, that those are Spellbound by Susie and the Banshees and Dark Entries by, ba- by uh, Bauhaus. So, enjoy your listen and uh, go kill the rest of the midterms that you have. The week is almost over. So, go study and do well so you can chill during the break and not be terrified. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. See you guys on the next episode of Genre Breakdown, which will most likely be after the breaks. So, uh, have a nice evening, everyone. Goodbye. See ya.